Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Well, hello and welcome to the latest instalment of the Driven Chat Podcast. You are listening to the voice of John Marker. Hello, and I'm delighted to have your ears once again on this week's episode. I say once again, this, of course, may be the first time you've ever listened to the Driven Chat Podcast. And there is a good reason to suspect that might be the case, because, of course... Regular listeners will remember, if you listened last week, we gave a little announcement, which was the fact that we were going to be now on a national radio show on Talk Radio, which is still blowing my mind slightly. But week one has now passed. The weekend just gone. If you are listening in real time, we have just put out our first ever Driven Chat motoring radio show on Talk Radio. So if you are joining us as a result of listening to the Driven Chat show on talk radio welcome it's lovely to have you here this is the automotive podcast this is the extension of a part of the interview that you no doubt would have heard on the radio show and this is where things are a little bit more relaxed and a little bit more fun now regular listeners will know that usually in this little preamble bit the the talk up to the headline event there's one or two additional voices to mine. I usually have either an Andy J or an Amy Shaw sat beside me. This week, I have neither. It's just me. You'll have to put up with me. But don't worry, it's just for this bit. Because in the main headline part of the podcast, we have the interview being led by Andy J. And it's a big one this week. As you will have seen in the title, we are talking to Radford. Radford, the coach builders. The company is back and it's been reassembled by four men, three of whom are Brits, 
and all three of whom have left the UK to set it up in LA. We can't blame them for that, I'm sure. So the people we're talking to, we have a mechanic and a television presenter called Ant Anstead. We have a business advisor called Roger Beale, and we have a car designer called Mark Stubbs. And then, of course, to go alongside that amazing team, we have a driver. And not just any old driver, he's a Formula One world champion. We have Jensen Button joining us as well, all at the same time, all on one big Zoom call. Do bear that in mind as you're listening, because, of course, we had multiple people in multiple locations all over the world with additional PR people listening in here, there and everywhere. It was quite a chaotic recording, but I think we've been able to produce it into what is a pretty good listen. You are definitely going to enjoy it. Just in case you haven't yet had an opportunity to listen to this week's radio show, you can do so anywhere in the world, regardless of where you are. Because I know we have got many, many, many thousands of international listeners. You can go onto the App Store and you can look for the Talk Radio app. It's a UK radio station. Alternatively, Talk Radio, if you just search for that online, you'll find the website, look up the schedule, and you can find us Sunday evening slot from 7pm UK time. That is where you will hear the show live every single week. And if you go to the website or onto the app, you'll see the facility to catch up and listen. Now, the last thing I'll leave you with, of course, is relating to that radio show, but also one of our new colleagues, which is really, really, really bloody exciting. For the radio show, in the last segment of each show, we have the legendary Mike Brewer. That's Mike Brewer from Wheeler Dealers or Mike Brewer from Mike Brewer Motors. Mike joins us at the end of each episode every single week to answer any questions that our listeners might have about the car world. So that might be something to do with buying a car, selling a car, industry questions, buying car parts, importing cars, restoring cars. As you will know, I'm sure Mike Brewer is no stranger to the world of cars. So if you are listening to the radio show and if you would like to get your questions into Mike Brewer, we have a new email address for that. We mentioned it in last week's podcast episode. The email address is nice and easy. It's hello at drivenchat.com. That is hello at drivenchat.com. Get your questions to Mike via that email address and he will gladly work through those questions each week for the final segment of Driven Chat on Talk Radio, 7pm UK time every single Sunday. We've done show one, it's out of the way, we've kind of warming into the format of it now so we're ready to keep pressing on. So do keep your questions coming in. It's amazing to see people emailing in, it's amazing to see people commenting on what we're doing on social media. It's incredible, we can see the figures when people are clicking follow on things like Spotify or subscribe on things like Apple Podcasts. We see it all, it means so, so much. Those little follows, the subscriptions, the comments, that sort of stuff. It just goes such a long, long way into making this worthwhile for us. Likewise for reviews. I don't often ask for reviews on our podcast, but it's something I mention from time to time because it massively, massively boosts our algorithms. And anything nice you can say about us, good five-star review and some, some nice words will help us grow even more. If you're enjoying the content, we want to make sure that other people are enjoying it as well. And of course, the only way we can do that is by spreading the word. Now, Let's talk to the guys from Radford. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Right then, it's time for the main event. And apologies in advance if this one gets a little bit sticky because there are six gentlemen who love cars talking cars. And what a lineup we have for you right now. Of course, my co host with the most, Mr. Marker, the man with car in his name, Mr. John. Hurrah. And then on the other side of the globe, all the way from glorious LA, it's early for them, it's late for us. We have a Formula One world champion, a designer par excellence a broadcaster slash mechanic who used to be a policeman, but he never talks about it, and a man who carries spanners and is a guru and has a different accent to the rest of us. It's the Radford lads. Hello, boys. How are you doing? Hey. Hello. Oh, that was quite a little introduction. <laughs> Did I get that right? That was lovely. Oh, that was lovely. <laughs> we are concerned, though, because uh, although uh, this is not a visual medium, we, Radford 3, are wearing black, and Jensen's chosen not to wear black today. JB, what's going on? I, uh, I thought I'd, I wanted to stand out from the crowd. Oh, <laughs> you already do, buddy. He's the lead singer. <laughs> you all look lovely. I like that you've all gone for black, but all slightly different details. you got the V-neck on there, Rod. you got the round neck and, and obviously... Mark Stubzo is wearing a shirt because Mark Stubzo is never without oh, his black shirt. I was trying to work out which boy band reunited they were. And actually looking at them now, I'm, I'm going to change my original thought. And I'm now going to say Hanson. Hanson with a haircut. With the haircut. Remember Umbop? I, I could see they actually, there's Hanson with haircuts. I, I'm kind of glad I'm not in the same room as them right now. This is good. This is great. <laughs> Because I'm with you, Andy, totally. <laughs> well, guys, look, there's, there's a lovely reason that you're all together, which I think is just wonderful. First and foremost, three of you are Brits who have all found yourselves one reason or another in L.A. and you found yourselves together. And the three of you all have different backgrounds that form and unite. There's one American in the tribe as well, which I'm, I'm very keen to talk about, too. And you guys have decided, do you know what? Let's team up. Let's pool our resources and let's bring back a bit of history and make some magic. Over to you. Who wants to tell me all about it? 
Yeah, Joel. Well, um, you know, it's, it's this kind of, there's a weird time in the car world right now. I mean, we all know that Heritage is back. Um, all these OEMs are relaunching and re-looking at their vintage cars. Aston will make you a DB5, Jaguar will make you an XKSS. And um, there's, you know, 100 years later, the world's come full circle and people are now talking about coach building again. They're talking about one-off cars again, low volume. Um, and the use of shared platforms is back as well. So while we were sort of mulling around the idea of launching a new car, Mark and myself kind of teamed up on a project and then Jensen became involved and then Roger became involved. And we, we, we were looking at this, uh, this historic platform, the idea of Brits in America waving the British flag um, in a very kind of Anglo-American partnership and uh, doing it under the, the, the guise of Radford is actually kind of ideal because Radford has this iconic history that nobody really knows about. Um, you know, telling particularly American people that the, the Ford GT40, a car that they're incredibly proud of, was actually built by this tiny little coach building company in the UK called Radford. Um, and every member of the Beatles owned a Radford and Enzo Ferrari had a Radford and Peter Sellers had a Radford. It's got this kind of iconic history that we're we're celebrating folks so for us it's almost the perfect platform we're um we're able to uh, wave that british flag quite proudly and you know split our roles into quite you know quite specific segments you know mark being a designer me being a builder jensen being a driver roger just being a rock star uh, so, <laughs> so, literally, I, so, so actually, and I'll tell you what's crazy is that because of uh, various embargoes, we've been working on this project for, you know, silently for probably a couple of years, but Mark's been on it for seven or eight years. So there's been years and years and years of secret development to get to just this point to say, right, we're now ready. Uh, because of course, when you, when you come out with something with such a big profile and impact, you know, it needs to be really good. So you'll see over the next few months some some little bits of information will be dropping. Uh, we are dropping something on May the 5th, which is gonna make uh, more sense when you see it. Um, so, so yeah, we've got the, our hands on this, uh, this historic iconic brand. Uh, we are building a car. We've already aligned with an OEM, which I think stands testament to what, what we're doing. We've already got other OEMs in, in play for the next cars. Um, we're making a television show about it. Um, uh, is that about it? I think so yeah we done. covered it yeah done. Jensen okay. help <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I mean you've you've said it beautifully and as always um and uh my my part of it is is to help uh help with the the development of of how the car is going to feel uh, and I don't mean just the the driving it on a track or driving it down to the grocery store or um or petrol station I was going to say gas then or petrol um, but anyway, I might be giving too much away. Um, <laughs> but um, it's it's more about how you get into the car and that feel when you step into it that everything is in the right position. You know, when you get into a lot of cars, a lot of supercars I've owned in the past, you jump in and the steering wheel's not in the middle, the pedals aren't quite in the right place, just sat too forward or too far back, and something just doesn't feel right. Um, I want everyone to get into this and be able to put themselves into a position where it's like, wow, I feel like I'm in a proper car. I'm surrounded by something very special here whether you want to drive on a track or, or drive it down to the down to the shops um, and then we get into the development of, of how the car feels on a road and, and on a circuit uh, which obviously is something I've been involved in since I started my career at the age of eight is developing carts developing cars into something very special 
that was always my strength you know the outright speed I didn't have the outright speed for example in qualifying like a, a Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen but I could be as quick because I could develop a car around me to be very special so that's that's where I'm coming from and that's that's where I'm going to be working on, on the development with these guys I have thrown a few things um, uh, at Mark as well in terms of uh, design just a few ideas and uh, just to see if he listens <laughs> tell, um, tell Andy about the, uh, the significant wheelbase and track change that Jensen just <laughs> yeah no I mean, we've, made, we've made some significant changes a lot of them are pretty much primarily influenced by Jensen, Jensen yeah yeah it's like usually a little text that you know what early in the morning or late at night saying hey stuff so can you do you think we can do this do you think we can do that and I'm like okay yeah cool yeah let's let's try let's try you know so um but no, Andy, like the, the, the dream for me for this project and Radford in general is that, you know, I've spent so many years going inside, in and out of different OEMs, working on production cars, show cars and everything else. And we've always typically been, dream, been driven not just by design decisions, really. It's very much by cost, marketing, production process and things like that. And the dream is just a lot of that just goes out the window and we can kind of, you know, I mean, we're coach building cars. We can do, you know, what we all want, you know, so... Um, there's an interesting story that we'll start to tell, which we can't tell you about now, but between these two guys um, about how how coach building can really play a difference, right? And you can really build a car that you want to build, right? Yeah, and that's the point. You know, Bradford's quite clearly a, a, a high-end, low-volume uh, car manufacturer. Um, and we're focusing on the coach building. So we're partnering with OEMs so we can make get the benefit of decades and decades of development, hundreds of millions of dollars of investment uh, is at our fingertips. Um, you know, it's, it, it's incredible. It's really exciting. And it's like, you know, I mean, hundreds of years ago, they were coach building cars and they, every part was pretty much made by hand, you know, whether it was in an English wheel or a crafted yeah. piece of wood. And the funny thing is, like Jan said earlier, it's almost gone full circle again, you know, because the way we used to basically make concept cars, we can now you know, the, the technology is there with 3D printing and machining and everything else um, is there for them to be, you know, production quality. So we're leveraging a lot of like new technology of all these old fashioned crafts and um, skill sets and that. Um, but the same thing applies to back then because every part can be completely unique, which again is just lends itself to, to true coach building, you know, because we're not talking about coach building in the sense where a lot of people think about you know, just putting a different material on a panel, painting it a different color or using a special paint. Yeah, you know, bolting on an aftermarket part that's on an extras list is not coach built. We could like design somebody a custom IP. We could design- So hang on, you, whole new you mean you're not, you're not Carnes is what you're saying. You're not Carnes, you're not over Finch. No, far from it. Yeah, <laughs> far from it. It's just but good to make that, with what good to you Oh, no, absolutely. Unless you're Jerry McGovern and you despise them for it. But yeah, a completely different thing. I mean, what's what's lovely, guys, is that not only have you got this kind of communal feel where you're pooling your resources and your skill sets are so complementary, but what's really apparent is there's this teamwork and this shared passion. I mean, you mentioned, for example, that Jensen had a feedback about notes and you had to make some changes. Am I right in assuming, because of course you're going to listen to an F1 world champ about how a car feels, but am I right in assuming that he's not going to have a huge amount of say in how it looks? I mean, you, you know, you might kind of tidy up the chassis or something, but you're not going to, you know. Uh, uh, whoa, whoa. Actually, let me just, let me just tell you, we, uh, we, uh, we put our prototype car, our first car to clay model. I mean, this was actually months ago. 
And I'm standing around the car looking at it thinking, this is absolutely beautiful. We've smashed it. The public are going to love this. I love it. Two weeks later, I went back in and it completely changed. He never told me. <laughs> and what turned out is that Jensen sat at home with his wife, Brittany, looking at pictures of the car. Brittany says, oh, we should change the rear. <laughs> Jensen says, you're right. That leads to a text to Mark who just goes and changes the wheel, re-mails re the entire clay, doesn't tell myself. And I'm like, I then text going, oh my God, someone's messed with the car. And they're like, no, no, we've changed it. You didn't talk, talk to <laughs> so, yeah, That is not collaborative. <laughs> <laughs> oh, happy days. Learned <laughs> that Brittany calls all the shots in this company. Yeah, definitely not. Um, but no, that's the great thing because we're, we're obviously all very close to what we do and what we love. And we're very passionate about it. But um, sometimes it, it, it takes someone else in the group to mention something. Um, you know, I think we could possibly just change that a tiny bit. So oh, actually, you're so right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been really good working with everyone. Everyone's been doing their own part in, 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 in Radford, but also jumping in on other parts as well, which has been great and helping out and... and uh, and showing so you know a, a different skill set really, which is great. So OEMs, guys, what's uh, what's the deal there? We we keep hearing that you've kind of partnered with an OEM. I, I feel maybe you could give us a little bit of an insight as to who who they might be, perhaps. Yeah. So uh, the first OEM that we've collaborated with is Lotus. Yay! No way. <laughs> Lotus. Yeah. That's out of the bag. Yeah. So. Yeah, we've been working with them. Uh, our group's been working with them for more than a year now and have come up with a real cool program. They're fully supportive of us and uh, we'll be able to show the result of our work with Lotus uh, in the next few months. So stay tuned. But yeah, it's, a, it's been a great partnership with Lotus. This is very exciting because, I mean, as, as you've already mentioned, you know, coach building, you're not just sticking, a you know, an ashtray somewhere or upgrading a stereo system or putting a nice new steering wheel on it. You can really get to grips with it. And I mean, everyone's familiar with Lotus's back catalogue. I'm not going to guess which ones you might be tweaking, but you can have a lot of fun with at least five of their historic motors, can't you? I mean, we're, we're going back a few years, right? I'm guessing. Yeah, but if you think about everything that Lotus stands for, <clears throat> Lotus originally founded, and bizarrely, by the way, uh, uh, Harold Radford launched Radford at the Earls Court Motor Show in 1948, and Lotus was also founded in 1948. Weird coincidence. Um, but if you actually look at the, uh, the involvement that Lotus have had, not only on their own cars, from becoming a race company into a car company, um, via Lotus Engineering, they've actually had impact on to tons of other cars. Lots of people don't realize things like the Toyota MR2 was made by Lotus, their impact on DB9. You know, Bose headphones, which I think you're wearing now, the sound canceling was actually developed by Lotus. Uh, GM's biggest selling engine of all time, the LS, Lotus. And they, and they have a car in space, Ant. But, and they have a car in space, yeah, exactly, right? Tesla was born on a Lotus. So when you think about um, when you think about the sort of the ideal partner for a coach building business with heritage, the coach builder wants to focus on the aesthetics, the way the car looks from the outside. Who's the best British brand to come out with to make it steer, stop, start, handle, drive? Lotus. Lotus. Yeah, I think it's it's a 
It's a very fitting collaboration really, isn't it? Because for a lot of people, a lot of drivers and petrol heads, you think of Lotus as this sometimes tiny, tiny little company. And they're kind of in that category of small enough to be a small company that makes really cool cars, but big enough to be like, it's Lotus, you know, they've got, they've got some clout to them. And so, yeah, the, the whole coach building collaboration seems to make perfect sense. My question would be, will the average consumer, take the badges off for a second, will the average consumer see what's coming out of the Radford productions and go, ah, look at that new Lotus, or is it going to be more along something, is it going to be something that they go, oh, I think I know what it is, but I don't know what it is. J Jensen answers this best on the show. Yes. To answer your uh, question, John, uh, you're right. Over 71 years, Lotus have produced some pretty iconic cars, right? Uh, the first road car, mm. 1958, the Lotus Elite. Uh, actually, more than being beautiful, it was a, a, a marvel of development. First road car to have disc brakes all round, first road car to be a, a composite monocoque. Um, coefficients of drag was a big, uh, big influence for Colin, uh, as was uh, Ad Lightness. So if, uh, if you were given a blank template to take a Lotus of the past, to be inspired to create a Radford Lotus of the future, which is exactly the journey we went on. And, you know, as Jensen says, we need to ensure that there's Lotus DNA. Can a member of the public stand next to the car in a car park and go, that's a Lotus, uh, which is absolutely our aim. Um, so first of all, I think we've mm. chosen the right car uh, because, I mean, it's epic, <laughs> but, but also we really <laughs> focused on creating Lotus DNA. Uh, and, you know, Jensen says it perfectly on the show. Um, in fact, do you want to just say it again now, Jensen? <laughs> Which bit? Which bit? The bit that it doesn't matter if, you know, Lotus needs to think it looks like Oh, that. okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't matter if uh, if I think it looks like a lotus. You know, I, I obviously do think it looks like a lotus, but the important thing is that lotus thinks that it looks like a lotus. Um, and for me, the the exciting thing with the car is it's it's our inspiration comes from a car that didn't actually, what well, wasn't actually driven on the road, um, which I love. So we're bringing a race car to the road, um, but that will be usable mm. on the road. So. I've always been into the curvaceous looking cars, you know, cars that raced at Le Mans. Those cars are the ones for me that um, they, they, they make me tingle. You know, those, those cars with the curvaceous wheel arches, front, rear, smaller cockpit, um, great visibility where you need it, but in other places, not so much. And um, it just, you get into it and it just feels right. And it, and, it, and it gives you back something very special. So the car that we've chosen is one of those cars. So um, I was very excited when I heard which car we were gonna, uh, our inspiration was from. And, uh, and I think that Mark has done a fabulous job of, of, of building this stunning automobile that does hark back to the, the past of, of, of the, the car that we've chosen, but um, of, has made it more relevant for now. Obviously, obviously awesome. one of the plans is that you are making a, a production version of these cars, that people are going to be able to buy them. They're going to a limited run, of course, but they're going to be available to the public. However, as I understand it, there's also a reasonably healthy element of competition between Ant and Jensen with the first two, because I believe you're making two, one for each of you. Is, is that right? I wouldn't say healthy. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I would say pretty much unhealthy. But it's it's interesting because on the TV show, we are building two cars. We start off with a very, very similar platform provided by Lotus. We then go through the design stage, the design development, and Jensen allows himself to get quite carried away because, of course, that is the point of coach building. Yep. 
the client drives the end result. So although we start with a concept to build the same car, we actually end up with two incredibly different cars. And I think for, for us as television makers, as storytellers, there's no better example than doing. So Jensen is building Jensen's car, Jensen's way. I'm building my car, my way. It's <laughs> definitely going to have steelies on his, isn't he? There's no getting away from it. I wanted to ask you about, you know, there's this serendipitous thing about three Brits in L.A. And apologies, Roger, I realise that you're not part of that, that little tribe, but you're nonetheless an adopted Brit for the Radford brand, of course. But to <laughs> us Brits, when we think about an, an Englishman in America, to us that don't live there, we sort of think, oh, the accent still carries some weight and we've still got a little bit of a sort of distinctive gravitas about us. Is that just bollocks or is it true? Is there a certain je ne sais quoi about being a Brit in America these days? Hugh Grant ruined it for all of us. I think it still does carry some weight. When, when you're talking about cars, it does. I, I, I think uh, Roger's the only one that can truly answer this. Yeah, sometimes people are just fascinated to hear these guys talk. They don't care what they're talking about. They just really? want to hear them talk. Oh, yeah. They just, people, friends say, hey, can, can you call in? I just want to hear them speak. Right. <laughs> read, 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 read. Talks rubbish, but it, it sounds great. For <laughs> some reason, Americans seem to love the word lovely. When, yeah. when an English person says the word lovely, Americans seem to like it, I've noticed. Yeah. It's quite oh, that's beautiful. Lovely. Jensen, the other day, um, I think it was Izzy, we were watching something that you'd said, and you'd said puncture. And they all went, puncture, puncture, puncture. <laughs> there is a British quarters brand, but we are very conscious that we are, this is an Anglo-American partnership. You know, we are here in LA. We are, we are proudly waving our, our, our British flag here. And we're putting a big British influence, not only on the design, but on the engineering as well. Um, and uh, it, it's kind of funny, actually. I've lived out here long enough. Jensen's lived out here a bit longer. Roger's lived out here forever. And, you know, ultimately, we are influenced by our environment. We're using a lot of American engineers. We're using a lot of British engineers as well. Um, it, you know, I think we have to kind of strike that balance, but actually remain true to our, uh, our heritage. You know, I keep saying, and I know Mark's the same, what would Harold Radford and Colin Chapman do if they were building the car mm. today? And that actually answers most of our questions. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming, having seen a lot of their back catalogue, they didn't plaster them with Union Jackson things. So I'm assuming you're not going kind of lowest common denominator, we're British, ha ha ha. No. <laughs> Are we? Are we? Oh, no, we can't reveal that yet. Basically, we're not going to have a Union Jack on the roof. No. <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all the sides of the cars will just have the word lovely. Exactly. Yeah, lovely. That's all we need. What's actually quite interesting is because, you know, we went through this design exercise. Ultimately, we are partnered with Lotus. So cast the clock back a few months. We, we create a partnership with Lotus. We choose a, uh, the engineering, how the car is going to stop, steer, drive, handle, which Jensen changes. <laughs> and then... Um, we were looking at which Lotus is going to be a design influence for us. Now, we've chosen a mid-engined car for obvious reasons. So that really limits us to a, a mid-engined available Lotus. And, of course, everybody out there is going to say, why aren't you doing an Esprit? Esprit's a bond mm. car. It's iconic. Um, but actually, uh, we rested first on the Europa um, because uh, Europa was... Uh, 
an iconic car. And actually, uh, back in the day when Ford were pitching for the GT40, they wanted to, um, they, Lotus actually pitched to Ford. The Ron Hickman, the guy that designed the Black & Decker Workmate, the Ron Hickman Europa concept, and it was declined. And then that Europa led us to the Type 62, which is effectively, as Jensen said, a race-going version of a road-going car. And although engineering-wise, they're totally different, you can see within Lotus the design intent, intent between the, the road-going Europa and the road-going 62. It's a very Europa car. And then when you start to consider the history of Europa, you know, a car that was penned by Hickman, a car that was actually only released for the French market, a car that was actually quite unsuccessful here in the US. But now it's a car that's so incredibly retro. You know, I, 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 we argue with these guys all the time. The, the Ferrari bread van is either a love it or hate it car, but ultimately mm -hmm. it's the Ferrari bread van, right? So I've seen, I've, yeah. I've raced against the Ferrari bread van at Silverstone and every time it overtakes me, which was often, uh, I would think that is a cool car, but of course, a lot of people would say that's not a cool car. And it's that mm. that uniqueness that makes it cool. So for us to choose a car that's very unknown, Lotus only built two Type 62s, uh, to choose a car that's, uh, as a road going version, was incredibly unsuccessful here, I think it stands testament of what we're trying to achieve. And we've put a lot of pressure on ourselves, to be fair. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> to make it work. I tell you what's amazing yeah, right. is we, we filmed the we filmed a, a little while ago that they, they, Lotus built two original Type 62s and chassis number one we we managed to secure on the show. So Jensen, Mark, and myself went down and met the car. We uh, we we chatted for a, a whole day with the current owner, and then the guy who was head of Lotus Design at the time who designed the car uh, came and uh, gave us an interview, and we actually showed him Mark's design of R modern type 62 that was stressful it, yeah because of course yeah. the pressure's on yeah but 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 it's that moment that's captured on the show where you realize there's big gravity to what we're doing huh. yeah i mean these these are really high stakes guys i mean it's properly you know it's you're not just kind of Going, going under the radar, you know, oh, look, we'll just have a little play together. We'll see what we come up with. We'll get some clay. We'll see what we could. Oh, no, no, no. You're going to take a, a, an iconic car. You're going to do a massive TV show about it, which the world is going to see. You're putting yourselves in the spotlight of Lotus and their design heritage. I love this. And, of course, you've also, you're aligned again with Lotus because, of course, they have their proving track, Hethel. You guys thought, we need to do that too, right? So, lo and behold, another part of Radford happened. Yes. <laughs> so basically, well, first of all, my job has become a lot easier. One, because we we're working with Lotus. Um, so add lightness. Uh, it's a driver's car. Um, you know, the base of the car is is fantastic. Um, we will develop it further, but it's a great base. And then we we're like, well, I can drive it in the canyons, which is great. You know, it's, it's very useful to do on road driving. Um, get used to the freeways, see how it is on the bumpy freeways, but we need to drive on a track. So we have a track. <laughs> Has a track. <laughs> so Radford Racing School um, is in Phoenix, just outside Phoenix. And uh, we, we will be testing our cars there. I'll be pounding around lap after lap, trying to break stuff, um, which, uh, which these guys 
I can see on their face they're very excited about. But that is the aim of the test driver. So I'll be out there hammering it around, which I'm very excited about. Um, and, and normally with a race car, you want to push it to the limit, right? And you don't want to break stuff. But with this car, we have to try and break stuff. So it's going to be exciting. Um, and the track is, is perfect. The layout of this track is perfect for developing this car. There's some really heavy braking zones. There's some high-speed stuff. There's a little jump as well. Um, so it's, it's the perfect proving ground for this car for me to drive it, but also for, for, the, for the future uh, owners of these cars to come and, come and test the cars there with me um, so I can show them how to drive it. Gosh, that's, Amazing. that's a boon, isn't it? Come by one of our cars. Owen will also show you how to drive it in style on our own track with an F1 champ. I love it. Jensen, when you're trying to break the car, which as you say you have to do, will you be doing it in the Jensen Button iteration or the Ant Anstead one? <laughs> uh, that's a good question um i think i think we need to do both i mean Ant's going to drive his but to be fair i'm going to be doing the testing in both of the cars um because they will they will have very different components um i'm not going to go too into detail but very different so i need to to prove them all I love it. Roger, I feel like we haven't heard enough from you yet. What's it like keeping these three crazy Brits on a leash and making sure that they behave properly? Well, I got to tell you what, it's a full-time job. So when we all got <laughs> together, I went, oh, sure, I can work this into my existing uh, life. And it's been uh, around the clock, uh, pedal to the metal, balls to the wall. I think I can say that. Yeah, you've said it. All right, okay. <laughs> no, it's been, uh, it's been an education. So I get to do all the unsexy bits uh, you know, basically all the legal work, all the, you know, IP stuff that we've got, uh, contracts with all the folks we're working with. And we're working with a lot of great companies. Um, and it's exciting. And then there's the TVPs. We are in LA. That's my background. I come from that industry. So there's a lot of balls in the air. Um, and so far, none have fallen to the ground. <laughs> Roger, Roger, you don't have to, I, I'm going to ask you a slightly tricky question here. You don't have to use a, a name. I'm going to give you a, a get out instead. And, and that option will be uh, a driver, a designer, or a broadcaster. Which one's your favorite? Do it really good. Oh, this is pressure. Uh, <laughs> I say a driver design broadcaster. I don't know. I heard. I heard driver. It might might have been the connection. But. The, the great thing with us three Brits is that we're we're pushing the boundaries on many different things, and um, you know, we have these great ideas. And we basically go, Roger, can we can we do this? <laughs> is this allowed? Like, no. Sometimes it's hey, we've already done it. Yeah. Is there a problem? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But none of it would happen without Roger, though. He literally is the glue. What's the biggest risk here? Because obviously we've talked about how there's, you know, you're in this, you put yourselves in the crosshairs in terms of the design language and the delivery. But with all the jeopardy with the TV show, but also there's friendships on the line and, and obviously there's big money behind this. So how much are you feeling the pressure? How much of it is, oh, we're just breezing through it, it'll be fine. What's the, what's the biggest thing that's keeping you guys awake about this project specifically? Stress. Yeah, uh, the, 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 <laughs> list of, uh, the list of risk... Uh, items is actually incredibly long because remember you know there is a there is a, a history of car startups failing mm. um we are producing something internally that we're kind of guessing that the public are going to like if the public don't want it we're done um we're making you know personal financial investments personal um you know reputation um we are doing it publicly on a TV show, which means that everything is on the line. 
Um, you know, we we have uh, we have risks from core engineering problems to even design influence, even to trademark applications, even to choosing facilities and premises. I mean, the, you know, the last couple of days we've had real drama because of you know startup problems. Startup problems are actually incredibly draining and that can be as little as sorting out websites or you know insurance policies or you know premises and you know we've had huge premises issues over the last few weeks that has been really keeping me awake at night because ultimately if you don't have a facility in which to manufacture a car you can't manufacture a car we're not going to do it in the garden um so you know and all these tiny little minute details they amount to a huge overall problem so there's so many you know the best way to describe it is there's all these plates spinning and if any one of them drops, that we, you know, we're going to have a huge problem, and it's going to be a, a snowball effect from there. So, you know, we are all working. Right? I'm telling you, we are working around the clock, literally around the clock, right now. Um, you know, keeping the plates spinning and, and, and juggling all the problems, um, because you know anybody who's done a startup, because make, let's be clear, this is a startup business. Anybody yeah. who's done a startup business, it doesn't matter what sector it's in, if you create a product or a service. <clears throat> and you know we're in we're in um, Silicon Valley, which is incredibly famous for startups. In California, the fifth biggest economy in the world, where there's more startups here than any place on the planet, and you know the success rate is low. And um, you know there's there's so much stacked against us. But as believers in, the, in this project, as absolutely passionate car people that believe in this happening, it's that that keeps us going in the same way. Um, any other startup, you know, I, I, know, I know some hugely successful people that have done you know, tech startups and they, they all say the same thing. Those first few years are, you know, everybody's out of their comfort zone. You know, we're asking people to do things that they wouldn't, you know, Jensen's out literally buying toilet paper and Roger's sweeping the floor and, we're, you know, we're, we're doing, we have that kind of entrepreneurial startup mentality that you absolutely need. Um, because we, we, you know, we're driven to make this successful because we absolutely believe in what we're doing. What we're doing is, in my opinion, you know, it's, it's historic. We, you know. we, we do have to remember, though, that the, you know, for, for us, we're in a very different position in terms of us four than, than most startups. You know, we've, we've all achieved so much in our careers to this point. In our, in our chosen careers, we've been through stressful moments. We've we've done all that, so we kind of kind of know what to expect. Um, and the important thing is that we we love what we're doing. We're, it's not something we're just doing because we're like, wow, this is going to be massive. Um, like most tech startups, for example, you know, this is a big owner. This is something we're all so passionate about, and I think that that that's why it it's going to work because we are so passionate about it. And would you say, because you're, now that we've announced that you're working with a brand like Lotus, for example, would you say that adds more pressure to the success of it because it's a well-established brand? Or would you think, would this have been easier if you'd just come up with your own car brand and your own design and something that might not be immediately associated to previous success or failure? That's a great question because, of course, we by, by our collaboration with Lotus means that we inherit 71 years of Lotus development hundreds yeah. of millions of uh, Lotus dollars. Um, and, you know, Lotus has created a world-class reputation for building cars that handle and drive really, really well. Plus, Lotus has this yeah. core DNA, which actually inspires us and lightness. 
So um, on one hand, yes, partnering with somebody like Lotus is actually making uh, the engineering sense easy. But of course, with that brings huge gravity and risk. You know, we Lotus are hanging their hat on Radford, which means that if we get it wrong, you know, we, we, there's a bigger problem. If you think about in 71 years, how many collaborations have Lotus done? Can you name them? Ford Cortina? Cortina, yeah, of course. Sunbeam? Talbot? Yeah. Last one was 30 years ago, Colton. Of course, yeah, Vauxhall Colton, yeah. It's not a big list. <laughs> it's a... Yeah, it's not a big list, no. And you don't want to be the guys that spoil it, do you? <laughs> not that I think you, you will. We're not going to. But remember, we're not making an eclat. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Hey, hey. That's very true. Uh, Mark, let's talk about the design side of things. Because obviously, you know, when, when we hear of coach building and things, people sort of sometimes, and if, if you look at a Radford Mini, for example, which is the one that the, all the Beatles bought, it was, it was the interior that everyone got excited about because it was, it was beautiful and special. And I'm keen to know, obviously, you're going to be doing a lot more than the interior because you're getting your design chops on this one. You want to really let loose with it. But it's more than just coming up with the opening tweaks, isn't it? You, you seem so involved at every point now. How much are you kind of still revising, revisiting the design? How much of it is, is fluid and how much of it you're like, no, that's what I've said. That's what we're sticking with. Well, I mean, we're, we're kind of finalizing the design now, but that process, like Anne said earlier, you know, we're, we're constantly changing, you know? So we're, we're not just, you know, like you mentioned, other um, aftermarket companies. We're, we're taking a proper OEM type design process, you know? So we have, you know, the ideation phase at the start, we get into clay models, into 3D models with VR and everything else. So Andy, it's constantly changing to the point where you basically cut that tool. And it's only at the point where you cut the tool that you're saying, right, that's frozen. So it's all it's always changing. But, you know, to your point about risk as well, we're so guilty of, I think, of, you know, we're always pushing ourselves and challenging ourselves. So, you know, for example, can I say, one point we had like carryover glass and we we're trying to carry over some components, which are really difficult to, you know, manufacture ourselves, you know, and expensive. And, you know, we've pushed ourselves in areas like that where, you know, we said, right, we need to do to, to capture the essence of the design that we want to capture. We need to, we need to change, you know, certain things that we were going to carry over. I don't want to give too much away, but, um, but yeah, so, so everything's always fluid, and, but, you know, to the point you made earlier about risk, you know, we're always pushing ourselves so far because we want to get such an amazing product out there that we're creating more and more risk when we do that. Um, but, you know, ultimately it's just so that we, we, we come up with the, with the best possible vehicle that we could do at the end of it. One of the things that I'm sure everybody is aware of in the car world these days, and it's, it's something that every manufacturer is going to be a part of, and I'm assuming Radford are going to be joining this revolution as well, is, is of course, powertrains. Uh, electrification is something that we can't get away from now. It's, it's an essential here in the UK. I think America are doing something similar, only slightly slower. Am I right in assuming that you're going to be playing around with some, with some batteries and some, and some little motors as well as big fat V8s? Uh, I don't mind saying that on the Lotus project, we will not be looking past uh, petrol, but on the OEM, already signed with an OEM project too, there might be a multiple choice of powertrains. Okay. Excellent. I'm just going to look at the lawyer quickly. <laughs> oh, up. Okay, good. <laughs> Well, I mean, you, you said very little then, Ant. To be fair, there's going to be there's going to be an electric option in a future model with a different OEM. I think that's as much as we got. That's that's that leaves a lot of choice. 
He actually said there may be maybe, maybe, multiple yeah. power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm assuming you're not going to play with hydrogen. That might be a little bit frightening. So I'm going to I'm going to work on the basis. It's uh... <laughs> Mark. Uh, Mark, do you want to talk a bit more about the interior? Yeah, I mean, we've, uh, the interior is going to be quite something, you know, where we've we've taken some influences um, from the original Type 62, but being a coach builder, you know, we want that premium sort of feel on the interior. And um, we're working, you know, to Jensen's point, we're working with some pretty awesome partners, right? I, it I mean, blows my mind that like, these collaborations are even happening. Yeah, I mean, I can't wait to name drop, but uh, <laughs> some of them are just some of them absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. Who haven't even worked in the automotive segment before, but I've got a lot of relevance as well to what we're doing. Um, very British. Yeah, very British. Um, British craft um, to its best, uh, definitely. But, but the, I mean, the interior is going to be absolutely awesome, to be honest. It's one of the most important parts of a car because that's where, you know, like Jensen says, it's the cockpit. It's the bit you probably sit in most and uh, appreciate the car from the most. So it's going to be a really unique, you know, driving position and the... It's gonna be. It's gonna feel very sort of race car and and you know driver focused interior definitely. I didn't really have to say anything, Jensen. I'm so trained to say nothing. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. Let's talk timescale, guys. What are we What are we looking at? When are we going to get to see something? When are we going to get to kind of hear it rumble and see Jensen thrash it around the track and crash Ant's version, etc.? When are we When are we going to be getting our eyes on it? We are um, we are going to be revealing over the next uh, few weeks and months some sort of behind the scenes tidbits. We have some big, um, big, chunky bits of news that we're going to be dropping. One of the Mandy's, uh, you know, I still can't believe we're about to tell the world. Uh, <laughs> so there is going to be little snippets, but um, you will see a new Radford in 2021. Wow, oh, good. Do you know what I, I what I love about this is that I've I've had the luxury of knowing Ant for some time now, and yeah, he's given me a number of moments, pinch me, where I've kind of thought to myself, like that can't be real, and then it is. You know, I'm, I'll never forget we were walking underneath Waterloo Bridge, and he was like, "Hey, mate, I'm going to be the new uh, mechanic for Wheeler Dealers," and I did, I thought, "No, come on, don't be silly." Two months later, he's on a plane to LA. Then I get this message going. Yeah, so I've got this new thing, and uh, there's a designer and a race driver, and you won't believe it. And I didn't believe it, and you FaceTimed me, and there's the three of you together. I was like, holy cow. So when you say, I don't believe we've got these people, and then I've, my head is going like, what, are the royal family doing the seats for you or something? Have you got Queenie's throne? I mean, it's going to be huge, isn't it? Yeah, it's a big, it's a big deal. The, uh, you have to remember as well, this is, first of all, we have a duty to be custodians of the Radford heritage, right? That's our duty. Mm. We also have a duty to uh, Lotus, our partner, to create a car that's worthy of a Lotus badge. We have a duty to produce, personally, cars that we're incredibly proud of. And by pulling in some of these, um, uh, some of these partners, particularly on the interior, we have a duty to follow their brand, their design influence, their creativity as well. But because we're doing this on a show, my favorite TV is, is where somebody sits at home and says, wow, I didn't know that, or mm -hmm. that inspires me. So for us, it's about telling correct stories. It's about social history. It's about telling uh, uh, historical stories that are stand out. Because when we start to tell the viewer, not only Lotus stories, but Radford stories as well. I love talking about Radford's heritage, particularly here in America, 
in the wake of Ford v Ferrari, everybody understands what a GT40 is, and everybody believes Ford yeah. made it. We've got video footage, yeah. right? Yeah, of, of color archive of Ford <laughs> GT40 in the Radford workshop being painted by a guy smoking with no mask, which is not the Radford way today. <laughs> Guys, you've, you've, you've touched on this. Uh, there's a second OEM in the offing, and I'm assuming you guys have got a roadmap for, for several years to come. This isn't just a kind of one-hit wonder. Now, I don't want you... I know you can't break confidentiality, so I'm not going to ask you to tell us who the next one is or who the one-up might that be afterwards. What I would like you to do is kind of tell me if you had that fantasy. We, we've got Lotus Banks. We know that's there, and that's brilliant. But if, if it was up to you, each of you individually, who would you, which car would you really love to give the Radford treatment to? Jens is laughing like I've just asked a horror, horror question. You could always, you could always say E-type if you want, Jens. Don't answer that. Nobody answer that question. See, this is actually unique. It's something that was said, you know, uh, uh, you know we're huge fans of Singer. We love Singer. Singer are actually, they've created a, a whole genre of car that is the kind of the halo brand for, for low-volume <coughs> builds, right? The thing about Singer is Singer's tied to Porsche. And, you know, we often say that actually, if you look at the, the heritage of Radford, Radford never tied itself to a single mark. Radford worked with you know, Ford, Aston, Jaguar, I mean, the list is Rolls-Royce, Bentley, the list is endless. So I, you know, I think that's probably one of our biggest strengths because as a creative group of people, we wouldn't want to be tied to a single mark. You know, we don't want to be restrained in the way Singer are. We want to be free. So for us to, to choose our favourite child would be unfair. That's an unfair question. <laughs> He's only saying that because his is a Vauxhall mocker. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The well, the thing is, it, it, it definitely gives you more freedom being Radford, but it also, again, it does put more pressure on you because yeah. they do have a relationship with Porsche, Singer, which is a fantastic yeah. relationship. And I have to say that Singer have done an amazing job. We, we all know Maz Fawaz very well, the CEO, good, one of my best friends, and uh, they've done a fantastic job, stunning cars, um, but they have that relationship now. So for us, we do want to be working with different OEMs, but it, again, that does put more pressure on us to find those yeah, OEMs that we, we definitely want to work with and that they want to work with us as well. I guess following on from that as well, given the variants of cars that Radford are famous for customising or building, I should say is a better word than customising back in the heyday. The car that you're talking about at the moment, the Lotus seems to be very track focused. You're talking about circuit driver, positioning and testing it to the point where you want to see the limits of control and physics. Can we also expect to see the more luxurious side of what Radford were doing? So more, and again, we don't need to give any clues or any, say any marks in particular, but for me, I think of coach building in its heyday as you took your Bentley or you took your Rolls Royce to your preferred coach builder and they made it something really exquisite. So not necessarily the car that's going to knock your socks off on the circuit, but something that is going to make you feel pretty special. Is that also in the pipeline or is the focus at the moment about driving? I think, I think what's interesting about Radford is they started off in that exact era, you know, where they were mm. doing Rolls Royces and Bentleys and, you know, they went through that difficult period of coach building where there was the, the demise of coach building basically. And they, they, they were super innovative in their day, not just from a, you know, a, a, a physical point of view of patenting the rear facing seat, but they also really pivoted their business. And that's where the mini came along. So, and they were able to basically coach build a mini, right? 
And I think, mm. you know, if we take that mindset back to what um, Ant was saying about what would Harold Bradford do, you know, I think anything's on the table, to be honest with you. And um, I don't I don't think we want to limit what we will or won't do. Very safe. Very safe. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell there's a lawyer in the room every now and again, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, well, guys, look, one of the things that we are we're very lucky to have on this show is is a is an army of really lovely listeners. And they we, we kind of we opened up an email account just a couple of weeks ago and said, look, if anyone wants to chuck us a few questions, you know, feel free. And and We've been bombarded. Poor John basically has to spend about another 18 hours a day reading some of the things that we get, which is lovely. But there does seem to be a common theme to quite a few of them. And we thought we'd share some of these questions with the Radford team to just kind of, then we don't have the pressure of answering them. Grab the top of the pile, John, and, uh, and see what's standing out. Well, one of the questions, um, ironically, Andy and I haven't answered this one ourselves on the show, but uh, it's a question that has popped up a few times. And it's one that I like because it does really help paint a picture on the journey for all of us getting into cars. Um, and the question is simply, what is your earliest childhood memory of being in or around a car? So I'm going to start with you, Jensen, if that's okay. Is there something that sticks in your head? And is there a clear route from that early memory that takes you through to perhaps standing on a podium with a big heavy metal trophy in your hands? <laughs> um, well, my first memory of, of cars, I mean, you there's the road cars, there's the racing cars. And, you know, I grew up in the, in the 80s. I'm an 80s baby, unlike these three. Um, <laughs> and uh, for me, it was, it was Ayrton Senna, it was Alan Prost, it was Nigel Mansell. Uh, it was those days um, that, uh, that I loved watching Formula One. I'd sit down with my dad. And uh, even when I was sort of five, six years old, I would point out what they're doing wrong. Uh, I was probably totally wrong, but uh, Dad would be was yeah, told me that I used to point out that he's taken the wrong line. He shouldn't have made the move there. He should have waited until the next corner and all this. So those were the days that I remember from from racing, from watching racing. My father always also used to race in rallycross. So I used to go and watch him race his VW Beetle, um, which is the loudest thing I've ever heard. He used to he used to burst my eardrums every time I, I heard it. it. Was it was wonderful, uh, wonderful memories. Um, when it when it came to road cars, um, my first memory of a road car, my dad used to have a. I sound really flash right now. He had a he had a Jag, he had a white Jag with a vinyl roof. Um, and my first memory is, and I and I still remember this, which is amazing. Is I we, we lived on a slight hill in Froome, uh, and our driveway was on a slight um, hill, and I took the handbrake off, and um, reversed it unknowingly across the road uh, and into a wall. Well, my sister, one of my sisters was behind the car trying to hold it back, um, <laughs> trying to hold this almost two ton car back and uh, it didn't work. So uh, I ended up in, the, in this wall uh, and that's when my dad found me. At, I must've been seven years old. Um, so that's my first memory of cars. My dad also used to have a, um, I remember when I was eight, my dad had a Porsche 911 Turbo. How oh. flash is that? A white one. That's, uh, that's pretty posh. Yeah, it, it, you know, it was a wonderful car. And I, I remember it was great until it rained. And then you couldn't see anything because the whole thing misted up inside and it had no demisters. Um, but yeah, so great memories of cars in, in the mid, mid 80s. Ant, what about you? Do you? What's your earliest childhood memory when it comes to cars in and around? Uh, yeah, I, I went to, my dad always worked in boarding schools. Uh, so I always lived on a site with... Um, 
with boarding kids and uh, loads of staff. And one of the staff members, and I can't remember, I must have been maybe 10 or 11. He had, this is terrible, Fiat Baton X19. Oh, okay. I know that is an obscure car. But he, um, he, uh, I think he was, he was a groundsman, or he worked in the kitchen. And I can remember coming out with a kid and saying, "Oh, that's a cool car." And he was like, "Oh, let me take you for a drive." So my dad was like, "Yeah, go for it." And uh, I went out as a passenger in this car, and it was like I was going a thousand miles an hour. Um, mm-hmm. And because of that, because it's a terrible car, right? But because of that, I've owned probably three or four of them <laughs> just because of that drive. Um, and it kind of sticks with you. There's something about uh, cars from a visceral sense that stays with you forever. You know, I did yeah. a parenting book the you know a couple of years ago because as a child, you know, if you're a petrolhead, it's you'll you know you <clears> see <throat> kids that aren't informed yet. You know, they can point out a, a Ferrari or they can hear a sound of a V8. Or they can see yeah. something because that's the thing. This, this is such a passionate set, uh, sector. Uh, that uh, once it grabs you, it's grabbed you forever. Um, so as a builder, it was about Lego, Meccano, soap boxes, cardboard boxes. And then as I started to understand, these things actually move. Um, yeah, the rest is history. I have a very distinctive memory that you've just reminded me of, Ant, of a Sierra Cosworth, when I must have been about, I don't know, seven or eight, across some mad hills in Scotland, driven by a lunatic friend of my dad's. And I mean, that's when I knew I was hooked. I could still feel it in my stomach, you know, when it, good times. Yeah, happy days. Uh, Roger, you'll have a different, I would have thought, with a different background to to the lot of us Brits out here. What's your kind of pioneering automotive memory? All right, so these guys are going to know this. Uh, I, unlike these guys, am a child of the 60s. And back in the 60s, early 70s, there was a Japanese anime cartoon called Speed Racer. And I can remember as a five-year-old being obsessed with the Mach 5 that Speed Racer drove. Uh, And all I could think about was I can't wait till I can buy a uh, Mach 5 as an adult. Fast forward to when I turned 16, I worked all summer washing dishes to buy my first car. And it was far from the Mach 5. I actually bought a, let's see, 1978 Chevy Monte Carlo that had no reverse. And so I had to <laughs> learn to park on a decline so that I could open the door and push it backward uh, with my left foot. So anyway, there, there's my... Uh, what was it called? 78 Chevy Monte Carlo. Oh, I'm Googling that now. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 1978 Chevy Monte Carlo. I'm guessing that that wasn't that, that wasn't a light car to push yeah, with one leg. Is yeah, is your is your left leg much stronger? <laughs> there it is. Oh yeah, look at that. Look at yeah. that. It's, that's just the right color as well. <laughs> Cruising the streets of Orange County in that sucker. Like Miami Vice or something. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but with one with one massive leg. Mark, how about you? What was the first car that you 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 started sketching? Because I imagine you were you were drawing cars from the age of like two or three, were you? Weirdly, actually, you just uh, yeah, because I did a I did a course in graphic design actually, and I used to always just try and doodle, and uh, just because I was trying to get ready to go to college university, because ever since I'd known, I've just wanted to be a car designer, you know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the first cars are probably sketching. Do you know what? I think it was a Rolls Royce. I think I might actually have still have those okay. sketches somewhere. That makes sense. Yeah, but I think it was a Rolls Royce. But no, going back, it very much like, um, you know, my dad was like super into cars. He was a proper petrol head. And um, 
I remember what one car he, he came in once was an M6 and he was always like a bit of a wheeler dealer kind of thing and he uh we never knew what he might he would just come home in a new car nobody knew about it I mean, what my, my mum would be like why you know why, why didn't you tell me about it kind of thing but he came in this M6 but the funny thing is, is he always got like a really cool car but it was the worst color so it was this M6 <laughs> it was this like random kind of beigey brown you know it's like it was literally the worst color probably because he got the best deal you know but um but yeah so he, we always had he always had different cars around but i always remember there was there a friend of my dad's he put a, a v8 engine engine into a, an mg um and mm. that that just fascinated me when i was a kid and he took me out in it and i was just that that's when i got that moment of like this is just freaking awesome you know and um mm. Yeah, yeah, that's that was probably where I just thought, oh, people can do this. And because I think it's because he did it and it wasn't the manufacturer. It just made this world in my mind that oh you, you, anybody can actually do that then, you know? So. Yeah, that's it. I love it. I love it. Guys, well, can we ask a quick one about, uh, I don't know what the self-driving situation is over in the States, but there's been a bit of a hoo-ha over here in the UK recently because the government have kind of said, well, we're going to start letting robots take the wheel. And I don't know the exact wording, but it's a sort of it's a bit of that. How do you guys feel on that? Because obviously you've got the Tesla autopilot mode that I think is is reasonably active in in California, isn't it? And you you do get a few horror stories, but I imagine it's still being used quite a lot more than just the random crash that we hear about over here. Um, I'm pulling up uh, uh, probably one of the finest emails ever and it was a few years ago I was doing a a, a BBC TV show about uh, here it is I found it a BBC TV show about self-driving cars uh, and as part of the uh, as, part, <laughs> as part of the research I emailed Rolls-Royce uh, a great friend of the PR manager and I said hey I heard a rumor is Rolls working on a driverless car system and this is the email response I have it here on my phone from an official Rolls-Royce account. There it is. And it says, we invented the driverless car a century ago. We used a system of a peak hat and white gloves. <laughs> Very good. Enough said. Enough said. Jensen, where, where do you stand on this? Because obviously there was the attempted robo race as a, as a support series for Formula E, which was going to be, I think it was going to be the support series from season two. And as far as I understand it, there's still... They're still working on the technology seven, eight seasons in now. Didn't it? Didn't they have test? Didn't they show it off and it drove straight into the pit wall as it pulled away from the start line? <laughs> there was, it did. It, there have been a few kind of random crashes. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. I get it. You know, if people are on long journeys or they've spent hours at, at the office um, and they, they want to rest on the way home, technology is obviously not there yet to make it safe, but also people, People aren't really going to the office anymore either. <laughs> people, a lot of people are working from home. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that the f in the future, cars are going to be more about in going out and enjoying yourself. And and, um, and for me, driving is is key to, to getting out, seeing the world, uh, experiencing new things. So I, I'm always going to want to drive. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, I've, I've got a Defender at the moment that I'm driving and I love driving that. Um, I wouldn't want, I hate, I hate it when another human being drives in the car with me. I'm terrible as a passenger, especially when it's Anne. And Stubzo drives <laughs> like a maniac. 
Stumzo is a wannabe racing driver. So I, I, I can't imagine a robot driving or a robotic car. And then the issue is, if everything's perfect on the road, they obviously work okay, right? But if there's a car broken down in the outside lane and you're in the outside lane, you end up in the back of that car. It can't, yeah. it can't see that far enough ahead. So no, I, I, I wonder- it's, it's probably going to happen, but it's a long way down the road, I think, before it's, uh, it's safe. I wonder if you're a victim as a passenger, Jensen. I wonder if you're a victim because of your status. I wonder if like people that are driving you basically want to show you they can drive fast and they probably drive differently to how they would if you weren't a passenger. No, it's, it's just because they're rubbish. <laughs> I, uh, I, I was a I was a passenger recently um, at the Radford Racing School. We uh, the school is the official school of Dodge, so we're we're very lucky to have a fleet of Dodge. And Jensen took me out in a Viper, um, for which I needed a change of underpants. It was from the vibrations. Have you ever scared yourself, Jensen? Have you ever gone, oh balls? Of course, yeah. When you you know in a racing car, many times, mostly in the wet. To be fair, and when you end up in a barrier, yeah, you've always thought, "Oh, balls!" Yes, I normally say something a bit worse than that, but <laughs> yeah, of course, but not on the road, no, because I would never, I would never push a car on the road. It, it always amazes me, and you know, I've I've got a few friends that race motorbikes um, at top level, and uh, it always amazes me when I see motorbikes flat out hammering it through mm. corners on cold tires. It's like why would you do that? The limitation, you're going to find a limit when you're on your ass. Why would you want to do that? And, you know, a lot of pro motorcycle riders don't have a road license because of that. Because, you know, people want to race them on cold tires. These things don't work. They have tire warmers in racing. So I'm off subject, but I just thought I'd throw that in. No, it's, it's fair enough. John, do you want to grab another one of our uh, lovely listeners' uh, regular asked questions? And we'll, uh, yeah, we'll throw I, one yeah. Yeah. It's one that I love as well because uh, it and feel free to if if this if this opens up a a sore subject where you really don't want to talk about it too much then feel free but we we obviously want to know the crucial details. It's that famous question: What is that one car that you probably shouldn't have sold? Or if you don't have one personally, you know, if there's one in the family, that one that you know everyone's got that story of the E30 M3 that they sold in the early 2000s for fifteen hundred quid and they thought they got a stonking deal. Are there any that uh, you can think of in, in recent history or, or maybe even dis, you know, the distant past where you think, yeah, I probably shouldn't have let that one go? Let's start with Roger on this one. I should never have sold the 78 Monte Carlo. He's got a skinny leg now. Uh, no, that's it. That's all I got. Go ahead, Ant. Next. Yeah, well, as you know, Andy, I, uh, I I spent many many years building recreations, uh, and I did an awful lot of uh, Aston mines. So I was well known for doing a, a an Aston inspired DB4. So over the years, I have taken engines out of Aston mines, driven the car to the scrapyard for fifty pounds. Oh God. <laughs> that has happened. I've done that on three occasions. Ow. However, I know a guy called Chris Stewart who owned the Aston Martin Le Mans winner, the 59 DBR1. Um, mm. He sold that. He advertised it for 100 grand and took £90,000 for it. In oh. That changed hands for £25 million. Jesus. <laughs> 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 it's 
It should have now. Yeah, he owned that car for 15 years. Oh, no. My goodness. 90 grand. Yeah, he sold it for 90 grand, yeah. Sorry, Mark. If you're listening, Chris Stewart, great decision, buddy. I'm not like <laughs> the complete opposite. I've, I've actually never really sold the car. I, I just can't sell cars. I just, I buy them and keep them. And the only car I think, well, is the least car that I've given up. What? The end of the lease. You can't answer that question of the least car. You like, you no, know, no, he's, like, he's like the little, the little mermaid. He collects everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've never, I've honestly never, I've never sold a car. Just, yeah. Does that mean like, you've got- Jamie, a... how long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I have a whole list of cars that I've sold that I wish I didn't because they've gone super high in value and I basically would have made a load of money. So there's loads of them, one being an Enzo, um, a Porsche Carrera GT. Oh. Yeah, so they, they've made a lot of money, which which does hurt. Um, but the one that <clears throat> the one that hurts the most uh, is probably every child, you know, every child's dream in the 80s to own. I had a picture of it on my wall alongside Bart Simpson and Pamela Anderson. <laughs> it, it was the Ferrari F40. Oh, no. You sold no, one? No, don't. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and I sold it, must have been about four years ago when I came to the States. And the reason being, you just cannot drive them here. You cannot drive them on the roads here. They're so low. Um, now, now, now I'm saying this, I'm like, I, I, I still would drive it. Damn, I missed that car. <laughs> um, and, and the one car I would never sell is um, I have a 57 Corvette. Uh, which was my dad's so um, it's actually in the UK at the moment and I'm going to bring it to the States um, but yeah the single headlight 57 Corvette which is black red interior with the little grey side side piece the irony the irony of Jensen having a, a Land Rover in America and a Corvette in the UK yeah am I the only one well we didn't establish whether it was an old Defender or a new Defender New. It's a new one. Well, because I like, yeah, I like my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and a heated massage seat. And why not? Uh, guys, I'm mindful of time because I've, I've got to have a little natter with Jensen about something else shortly. Um, but I'd love us to just kind of have a have a nice kind of summation of, of what Radford stands for, what it means to you. You know, it's it, the things that I'm kind of picking up as unique, different, tailor-made, passionate friendship british but kind of throw some more sentences at me because it, it sounds like a special special thing uh, it, it's funny you say that because you know we are genuinely a startup so we are managing uh, a ton of startup problems just the kind of the administration of starting a new business and a couple of weeks ago we have a we have a, a shared whatsapp group between the radford members and we've actually taken on quite a few staff now radford's you know for a small business is quite a big business and uh, a couple of weeks ago, we actually started a, a chain between us to discuss what is Radford's mission statement, <laughs> which opened up this huge can of worms. And we haven't settled on it, but we're very, very close. Um, and it's quite clear that Radford has a huge influence on heritage. Our heritage is so important. The timing of Radford is important because heritage is back. This project may not have worked a few years ago. Um, and, you know, you mentioned it yourself. It's quite clear that we have a very British influence. 
heritage-driven, passion-led, low-volume, high-end car brand. And uh, we don't have the restraints of an OEM. We have the freedom to be creative and a platform that's going to be able to share it with the world. How's that permission statement? Pretty good. I like that. Amazing. It's a bit longer than Grace Space and Pace. I liked it. When we say low volume, we haven't actually asked this question, have we? Can you tell us how many uh, how many of the first run you're going to be making? 62. 62. 62. 62. 62. And that's it. Fantastic. Excellent. Are we allowed any more details like starting price or anything like that? Is that is that allowed? That's a lot of dishes that's the, that uh, Roger would have to clean. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, we'll do it all soon. <laughs> we can't say yet, then. Money and fair words. Prim primarily American marketplace, or will you be looking to do? Will you be kind of flogging some in 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 Europe and and across the UK, etc.? Or is it is it basically going to be a, a, an American car for the first run? I, I think I think ultimately, um, you know, the, we, the world is really small. If a collector in uh, Bahrain. Switzerland, France wants one. Ultimately, they'll be able to get access to it. But it is, uh, it's being derived for the American market. There will only be 62. It's not the how first run. True. How many are you guys are going to have? Are you going to have one each or are you, are you banking a couple of extras? <laughs> I'm definitely going to have one. Uh, it's 100% having one. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, well, I'm going I'm I'm to get one. You two have got one each. Which actually means there's not 62 because there's four yeah. of us on here that are having one. So, so <laughs> there's going to be 50. 58 available. Perfect. Brilliant. Um, guys, listen, it's, thank you so much for your company. It's been a real pleasure getting to know the brand, getting to know what it stands for. I can't wait to see how it's going to look. I can't wait to you know blag my way into having a turn in one of them at some stage. I just think it's going to be awesome. Good luck with it all. Thanks, thank you, Andy. Cheers, Andy. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat Podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven Podcast in your preferred podcast app, or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.